Well, if no one among us is capable of governing himself, then who among us has the capacity to govern someone else? Hello, hardworking Americans. Thanks for tuning in to The Shrewsbury Show. I am your host, Colleen Shrewsbury. Apparently, it's time for us to have a national discussion about the Electoral College because it's been coming up in the news a lot lately, and it came up again back in 2016 when the Democrats lost the election. This is what they do. When they can't win a popular election, they have to change the rules. They make no complaints about the rules so long as the rules work for them, but if it doesn't work for them, then they have to change the rules in their favor, and they never think about the future consequences of making a decision like that. Look at what happened when Harry Reid eliminated what I think was the filibuster rule. It was either that or a rule requiring a 51-member majority in order to pass legislation instead of having to have a supermajority of 60 senators or more back in whatever year that was that has allowed Congress to put forth much of Trump's agenda as far as judges go. And so now we have to change the Electoral College because the Democrats lost an election because they were convinced, hey, we won the popular vote. Well, you know what? No, actually, that was two or three million votes for Hillary Clinton just in the state of California. That does not mean that you won the race nationwide. This is what they complained about back in the year 2000 when Al Gore lost the election to George Bush. They had to go on and file a lawsuit and leave the country hanging for probably about at least a month, month and a half. And so then they had to complain and make sure that everybody knew that George Bush was illegitimately elected and that he stole the election from Al Gore. And there's no way that Donald Trump could have legitimately won the election in 2016. He stole it from Hillary Clinton. Um, obviously, for the events of the last two, two and a half years with Robert Mueller and the farce that they have continued to portray in Washington to make us believe that Russian collusion was a true story, somehow Donald Trump is an illegitimate president because he did not win the popular vote either. But when they do win the popular vote and they do win the Electoral College, then they say nothing because we heard nothing from them in 2008 or in 2012 when Barack Obama won. We heard nothing from them probably back in 92 and 96 when Bill Clinton won the election. And I'm not sure that they made any complaints back in 2004 when John Kerry lost the election, but I would guess that there's a chance that they probably did. These people never think about the future consequences of their actions. My question to these people who want to eliminate the Electoral College is, what are you going to do when you eliminate the Electoral College and a Republican candidate loses the Electoral College but wins the popular vote? Then somehow, you know, you you can't accept it when you lose an election. And so somehow you have to twist and change everything so that it's all in your favor. But what are you going to do when a Republican candidate becomes president because you eliminated the Electoral College? What are you going to do then? Are you going to try to reestablish it and make this president out to be illegitimate too? You can't have it both ways. I'm not sure that a lot of these people even understand exactly what the Electoral College is, how it works, and why we have it, and why it actually benefits them too. So, just to be sure that everybody is on the same page and understands exactly what we're discussing here, allow me to read the description of the Electoral College out of the United States Constitution. The description of the Electoral College can be found in Article 2, Section 1 of the United States Constitution. 
I know that for most of you, this is probably old hat. However, I know that there are a good number of people out there who have actually never learned this in school, and this is why we're having this ridiculous discussion right now. So bear with me while I read from the Constitution, because sometimes the language in the Constitution can be a little bit Shakespearean. However, it is important to understand these things. The executive power shall be vested in a president of the United States of America. He shall hold his office during the term of four years and together with the vice president chosen for the same term be elected as follows. Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress, but no senator or representative or person holding an office of trust or profit under the United States shall be appointed an elector. So what they mean is if you have, just for the sake of round numbers, if you have 10 representatives in the House of Representatives from your state and you have two senators, then you get 12 electors. The electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president, one of whom at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. They shall name in their ballots the person voted for as president and in distinct ballots the person voted for as vice president. And they shall make distinct lists of all persons voted for as president and of all persons voted for as vice president and of the number of votes for each, which lists they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States directed to the president of the Senate. The president of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall then be counted. The person having the greatest number of votes for president shall be the president, if such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed. And if no person have such majority, then from the persons having the highest numbers, not exceeding three on the list of those voted for as president, the House of Representatives shall choose immediately by ballot the president. But in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states, the representation from which each state having one vote. A quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the states and a majority of all the states shall be necessary to a choice. So, this means that probably somebody can write in a different candidate other than those who are the party nominees. But, if something like that happens and you're dividing the votes between three candidates instead of just two, then you're going to have an issue trying to find a majority of one of the major parties to win the election, which in turn would strategically throw the election to the House of Representatives. I want you to pay attention to this part, the last part of what I just said. But in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states the representation from each state having one vote. Now, this is exactly why, as I mentioned once before in a different episode, why the Democrat Party wants to include illegal aliens in the census. They want to include illegal aliens in the census, and they also want to be sure that they don't ask, are you a legal citizen or a legal resident on the census, because of the fact that that representation in Congress in the House of Representatives is determined based on population. And the more people you have in your district, the more representation you get in Congress, which means that you get more electors 
in the electoral college and you have a greater chance especially in these blue states where they have high concentrations of illegal aliens you have more chance of winning the electoral college you weigh down the votes and you nullify the votes of u.s citizens the reason that we do not choose the president by direct popular vote is because we as a nation are not considered during the presidential election, we are not considered as one large nation. We are an aggregate of states under one federal government. This is also why you cannot, as a resident of Illinois, you cannot elect the senators for the state of Texas. You cannot elect the House of Representatives members for the state of California and vice versa. The presidential election is a series of 50 state elections. It is not one nationwide election. And this is why eliminating the electoral college and voting for the president on the popular vote would silence the voices and the desires of less populated states. In Federalist 39, James Madison was describing why it was necessary to develop a federal government to consolidate the existing states under one constitution, but the reason that he gives for authority to do so actually suffices to explain exactly why we have an aggregate of 50 state elections under one electoral college for the election of the President of the United States. He says... It appears on one hand that the Constitution is to be founded on the assent and ratification of the people of America, given by deputies elected for the special purpose, but on the other, that this assent and ratification is to be given by the people, not as individuals composing one entire nation, but as composing the distinct and independent states to which they respectively belong. Madison is reiterating my point here that this country is not composed of just 330 million people. It is composed of 50 states, which are distinct and independent. The Electoral College provides representation of the states in the presidential election. And I want to continue our discussion in talk about this national popular vote movement that's actually very sinister. It's been going on for a long time now, and it's going on very quietly. We really need to bring attention to this so that we can put a stop to this. I want everyone to contact their state legislators to let them know that you are not in favor of the national popular vote. Make sure that they are aware that if they ratify something like this in the state legislature, that they may not be reelected. This is a perfect example of the Democrat Party occasionally discovering the concept of federalism. They like state-by-state -state legislation on things like this because they know that it's more difficult on a state-by-state -state level to repeal something like this because you have to get a majority of people in a majority of states to undo it. Whereas at the federal level, it could be undone in one fell swoop. Now, continuing here in Madison's description of the federal concept of ratification, when he was talking about ratification of the Constitution, this also applies to the concept of the Electoral College and federalism. It is to be the assent and ratification of the several states, 
derived from the supreme authority in each state, the authority of the people themselves. The act, therefore, establishing the Constitution will not be a national, but a federal act. The election of the President of the United States is not a national act, but a federal act. Madison continues with an excellent explanation of the concept of federalism and the way that we elect the President of the United States. He says that it will be a federal and not a national act, as these terms are understood by the objectors, the act of the people as forming so many independent states, not as forming one aggregate nation, is obvious from this single consideration, that it is to result neither from the decision of a majority of the people of the Union, nor from that of a majority of the states. It must result from the unanimous assent of the several states that are parties to it, differing no otherwise from their ordinary assent than in its being expressed not by the legislative authority but by that of the people themselves. So what they are saying here or what Madison is saying is that when we elect the President of the United States in the course of 50 separate state elections, we as the independent states, sovereign in and of ourselves, are creating a unanimous decision of an aggregate of states for the president of the United States, not as a number of the majority of people. You could have 330 million people living in the state of Texas. If we were to elect the president based on the popular vote, if you had 330 million people living in the state of Texas and maybe 100,000 people living in every other state, then the state of Texas would elect the president every four years. And we would all have to do what Texas says and what Texas wants. This is why states that are more populous, like California, are pushing for something like the national popular vote because they want to be the ones to make the decisions for the entire country. This is why more populous urban centers like New York City want the national popular vote because they know that they would have a heavier vote in the country and that they very well could win the election on their population alone or combined with other like-minded blue states. The other advantage of the Electoral College, as described by Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 68, is to prevent corruption and mob rule. Hamilton says, And as the electors chosen in each state are to assemble and vote in the state in which they are chosen, this detached and divided situation will expose them much less to heats and ferments, which might be communicated from them to the people than if they were all to be convened at one time in one place. Nothing was more to be desired than that every practicable obstacle should be opposed to cabal, intrigue, and corruption. The idea is that the president is supposed to represent the views and desires of all people of the country, not just a few concentrated in Democrat urban centers and blue states. Otherwise, if the president knows that just a few people in blue states or concentrated urban centers are the ones that get them elected, then that's who they're going to campaign for. And that's the kind of policies that they're going to run all the time because they know that they don't have to get the votes and opinions of the entire country. 
country. This is why this national popular vote movement wants to eliminate the Electoral College, because they know that their ideas do not appeal to the country at large, that they only appeal to a few people in concentrated urban centers who vote Democrat. They know that all they would have to do is campaign in these areas and they win every time. Now, what exactly is this national popular vote movement that I've been telling you about? Well, let me explain it. Ultimately, it's an end run around the Constitution because it's actually run as a federalist type movement. They are passing this legislation state by state. In order to eliminate the Electoral College, it would require a constitutional amendment, and there is no way that this kind of idea would actually develop a two-thirds majority in both houses of Congress in order to amend the Constitution. If you go to the National Popular Vote website, it would seem from reading the explanation on their website that the biggest beef they have is with this concept of winner-take-all where the winner in each state election will take all of the electoral votes for that state. And they claim here, as predicted, that five out of our 45 presidents have come into office without having won the most popular votes nationwide. The 2000 and 2016 elections are the most recent examples of elections in which a second-place candidate won the White House. 2000 was the year of George W. Bush v. Al Gore, and 2016 was the year of Donald Trump v. Hillary Clinton. Now, I can tell you as far as 2016 is concerned, the only reason that Hillary Clinton won the nationwide popular vote is because of about 3 million votes in the state of California. That is it. If we're going to base an election victory on the number of popular votes for one state, then you're going to silence the voices and the votes of everybody else across the country. Now, we know that the Electoral College is based on the number of representatives that you have in Congress. In this national popular vote movement, what they want to do is to have this go into effect and be enacted by states when states possessing a majority of the electoral votes that is enough to elect a president, 270 votes out of 538. At that time, every voter in the country will acquire a direct vote for a group of at least 270 presidential electors supporting their choice for president. So what they want is as soon as they have achieved the passage of this national popular vote in the number of states necessary to receive 270 electoral votes, then this will actually go into effect which is an end run around the Constitution. Now, how far have they gotten? Let me tell you. Right now, it has been enacted by 16 jurisdictions possessing 196 electoral votes, which means that they have to get 74 more votes, which includes... Now, they broke it down between small jurisdictions, medium-sized states, and three big states. The small jurisdictions are D.C., Delaware, Hawaii, Rhode Island, Vermont, and the medium-sized states are Colorado, Connecticut, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, and Washington State. And the three big states that they have are California, Illinois, and New York. Of course! The bluest of the blue states in the country and our lovely home, Illinois, has passed this ridiculous nonsense. As of now, the bill has passed at least one chamber in eight additional states with 75 more electoral votes. Arkansas, Arizona, Maine, 
Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Nevada, and Oklahoma. And apparently, a total of 3,408 state legislators from all 50 states have endorsed it. The whole point of the Electoral College was to prevent things exactly like this, so that big states could not disenfranchise small states. It's high time that we started properly educating the children of this country because it's precisely the lack of education as far as how the Constitution and our government are supposed to function that has led to things like this.